This is Proxilla Radio, the UK's first dedicated progressive rock music radio network. You're listening to Tabletop Genesis, a podcast by Genesis fans for Genesis fans. Hi there, this is Mike Lord, and you're listening to Tabletop Genesis. This is Tom Roche. And we have two guests this this week, this month, this year, who would like to uh, introduce themselves. I'm Al Melchior, and I'm a longtime fan of the podcast. Excellent. Uh, I'm Anthony Johnston. I'm also a longtime fan of the podcast. Excellent. And besides being fans of the podcast, they obviously have rich, fulfilling lives of their own, <laughs> uh, which we'll be talking about in a moment. But first, we are covering on this episode, Tony Banks's solo album, The Fugitive from 1983. Tom, this is a unique album for you, isn't it? Right. It's Well, first, it's, it's funny because we've had listeners tell us over the years, please, please don't cover The Fugitive. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Don't so, cover uh, this album. Don't cover this album. But uh, this is a very interesting album. And I think Mike knows and telling our, our guest here, other than This Is Love, I'd never heard a note of this album before a couple of weeks ago when I started listening to it for the podcast. So for me, this was a brand new Tony Banks album, uh, even though it was almost... 30, 40 years, years old. old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what I did is when I t- usually I take notes when I prep for a podcast, but I took notes as I listened to it for the first time, just to try to get my very brand new virgin ears impressions down on paper. So we'll see how, how, how they, uh, they turned out uh, against people who have listened to this album forever. Like you guys. Right. I liked this album. I actually really liked this album. And so I'm looking forward to talking about it. Anthony and Al, what, what has your experience with this album been? Well, I love this album, but it's been a journey. So I bought this <laughs> album when it came out on vinyl in 1983. Didn't like it. I think probably it's fair to say I hated it the first oh, sure. time I listened to it. But it being Tony Banks, I gave it many, many tries and re-listens and got to like it. And I will tell you what really turned the tide for me was your your former pod mate, uh, Simon Godfrey, who said that he thought this was a better album than A Curious Feeling. I was like, whoa, really? (laughs) Uh, So I went back and listened. I heard, I think I, I got what Simon was getting at. And so I've just continued to really with each listen, uh, really appreciate this album more and more. And at this point, I I just love it. It's probably one of the albums I, I go to the most often over the last couple of years. Excellent. And that reminds me of the car salesman from Vacation. You think you hate it now. Wait till you listen to it more and more. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And Anthony, how about you? Well, unlike those people writing into you to say, please never cover this album. If you recall, Mike, I was the guy emailing you to say, when are you going to cover The Fugitive? <laughs> and if you do, can I be on it? Yes. Um, I mean, I can go into my whole sort of history of Genesis uh, later, I guess, when we talk yeah. about that. But specifically for this album, I mean, I know that there are people out there who say 
that this is a bad album and I'm here to tell you that those people are wrong. <laughs> and I have approximately 1500 words of notes here with which I will go on to prove it throughout this episode. This is my favorite. I think this is the best Tony Banks solo album apart from his orchestral albums, which are obviously a world unto themselves. Those I love. I'm a huge classical fan anyway. Mm -hmm. I think those are some of the best modern orchestral albums that are around. I really hope he continues to do them. I know he said that he won't, but please, Tony, if you're listening, please do, because <laughs> I really, really love those albums. But apart from that, I think this is his best solo album. Absolutely. Uh, for many reasons, which we'll go into. But yeah, I think this is a far superior album to A Curious Feeling. I'm continually baffled by people who say that that's their favorite Banks album, to be honest. <laughs> you can't account for taste, I guess. So no, it's, exactly. it's interesting. <laughs> so we've talked a bit about this album. So let's, let's hear a bit about your own kind of backgrounds, who you are as people. So Anthony, why don't you go first and just tell us who you are? Sure. I'm Anthony Johnston. I'm primarily an author also a podcaster. I write graphic novels, books, video games, mostly, uh, screenplays, a little. I'm best known, if you know my work at all, it's because of the film Atomic Blonde, which was based on one of my graphic novels. But I also, if you know video games, I've written games like Dead Space, Binary Domain, Zombie U, I worked on Shadow of Mordor, and a whole bunch of, uh, you know, games like that. But I am also a lifelong music fan. I, d I have a couple of podcasts on my own, and one of them is a music podcast devoted to heavy metal called oh, okay. Thrash It Out, where my co-host Brian and I listen to heavy metal albums and then debate them track <laughs> by track, actually, much like you do here on Very Tabletop good. Genesis. So that's me. Do you want me to tell my Genesis story now or well, later? I'm curious about the metal piece of it. So is, is metal kind of your favorite genre of music or is that just kind of something that you do have interest in? I don't necessarily, no, 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 I mean, it is, I'm a big fan of metal. Okay. I don't really have a favorite genre. Okay. Um, but metal is certainly up there, along with things like classical. I'm a big fan of pop music as well. I love uh, 60s soul and 70s funk Okay. Uh, as well. It just, you know, sort of all over the shop. But growing up, my favorite bands were Genesis, Motorhead, and the Sisters of Mercy which gives okay. you some idea of... <laughs> That's a nice, diverse group, group yeah. of bands right there. So, so why don't you tell us about your Genesis fandom, and then we'll hear this from Al, too, his, uh, his history of this. Okay, sure. I first listened to Genesis, I think I was about 10 or 11 years old, when I listened to the Duke album. My father had it on vinyl. Mm -hmm. And I remember very clearly as a, a young boy listening in the corner of the lounge with the big headphones which was a bit of a treat, you know, on my mm -hmm. dad's stereo, listening to Duke because I, I loved the artwork and I really liked that, you know, then I heard the music and really liked the music. And he also had shapes. So, so that gives you some idea of, uh, you know, I think I was basically 10 or 11 years old when this started because he also okay. had shapes and I think he had seconds out as well. And so those were the, the first Genesis albums I listened to and really liked them. What I then rapidly found out was that his brother, my uncle, was a much bigger Genesis fan than my father. Ah. He had everything. Ah. And so I, over the course of a fairly short space of time, rapidly became the proud owner of many, many cassettes. Sorry, you know, home taping did not mm. kill music in this case. <laughs> uh, many cassettes of Genesis albums going right back to things like Trespass and Foxtrot and Nursery Crime and what have you. Uh, and just loved it. I've, I'm, like I said, I'm an author. I love storytelling. And so 
on the prog side of things that always really got me the, the the quality of the storytelling but then as i grew i started to appreciate the music mm-hmm. as much and started when i started to realize basically i had took an interest in music myself mm-hmm. and in playing music i mean in composing music and realized just how good genesis were at songwriting mm-hmm. you know i i know many people would say they're and they would be the first to say that they're not necessarily the most virtuoso musicians mm-hmm. in rock music. I mean, they're no slouches, but you know, <laughs> right, exactly. they, they're not necessarily virtuosos in the way we often think of them, but in terms of their ability to play what they write and the quality of what they write, they're superb, like almost unsurpassed. And that led me to appreciate Tony's contributions as it so often does in, you know, muso nerds like me. <laughs> I mean, I often think of the, was it Chris Welch, I think, who refers to Tony's music as running like a dark river through Genesis's <laughs> work, which I think is a right. really a good evocative description of his contribution. And then there's Tony Smith's joke about, you know, Tony Banks actually has had a really successful solo career. It's called Genesis. Right. And so, yeah, I've just, I've always been an appreciator of his contribution to the band. And so when this album came out, my uncle made a copy of this for me as well. And so, yeah, it's the vinyl version that I've known for all these years and fell in love with all those years ago. And like Al, still listen to now. I still, even without this podcast, you know, I still happily just listen to this album regularly because, uh, yeah, I think it's great. Excellent. Well, thank you for all of that. I'm always fascinated to hear about how people get into the music that they love. And so that was really interesting to hear about. My that. father has a lot to answer for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> your father, your well. uncle. <laughs> Very good. So, so Al, how about you? What's your, what was your entree into Genesis? Uh, and, and, and also what did you do? I mean, what do you do outside of talking on podcasts with us about Tony, about this album? I, I just listen to a lot of Genesis. That's, that's pretty much my gig. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a, a former political science professor, former high school teacher for the last 13 years. I've been, well, actually, well, for the last 20 plus, I've been writing about fantasy baseball, but I've been doing it full time for the last 11 mm-hmm. and currently doing that with The Athletic. Uh, and I've also started my own music podcast, very much inspired by you folks, mm-hmm. called You, Me, and an Album. Going which I, on which to, I guested on. Which you guessed, you were the second guest ever. I was, I was a guest talking about John Cale on that, uh, on that episode. So that was a lot of fun. It was, it was great. It was great. So uh, happy to, uh, you know, have the, the Home and Away series here. And, yes. uh, yeah, your podcast. <laughs> yes. And as far as my entry to Genesis, I remember it like it was last week. I mean, this is just one of these moments that is one of the most vivid memories of my life where I was sitting, sitting in my basement 15 years old, suburban New Jersey, and listening to WPLJ, Behind the Lines came on. Here's a new track from Genesis and a band I'd heard of, but didn't know any of their music. I was pretty much a newbie to FM radio at that point. And, and I just heard, bum, bum, bum. And I was just, from that, those first notes, I was just taken aback. What is this? Very good. <laughs> and I just, I just knew it was special right away. So then that became the song that I would listen to the radio all day, waiting for them to play again. Mm-hmm. And then they start playing Misunderstanding and turn it on again. And a friend of mine bought Duke. And so I taped it as well. And this, I'm going to show my age here, taped it on reel to reel. Very nice. Wow. So I literally wore out that tape and, uh, you know, had to get my own copy. Yeah. It just went from there and just went back and, and gradually over the course of the next few years bought, 
everything uh, in the back catalog and started to, yeah, I guess probably two, three years in started, well, it must've been, yeah, because uh, probably got Curious Feeling around 82 and then bought this album, The Fugitive, right when it came out. Now, we'll say those were the only two Tony Banks albums that I've ever bought. I don't know the other ones very well. So cool. And so we know that Tom has just recently made his acquaintance with this album and everything. It's but brand new. Exactly. So, so Tom, why don't you jump into the Wikipedia article for this and we'll learn about some of the background of this oh, album. Hang on a minute. Oh, I yes. want to hear about your experience. Your, how oh, did you how did I? This album, Mike? <laughs> I first No one ever wants it. to know that about us. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear us flatter on about it. I'm showing on our little Zoom camera here my, my first CD I got of this that I bought as an import, I would say probably in, in the late 80s or early 90s. I actually forget where I got this CD. It's possible I bought it growing up in New Jersey, kind of at, at some of the specialty record stores around, certainly not the Record Town or Sam Goody's type of mainstream stores, but some of the more obscure type of places would have carried this as an import from England. Or I bought it in Boston when I was away at university. And I think that I knew that Tony sang on stuff. And I, I at, at that point, I was even, I probably hadn't heard a curious feeling. This was probably my first Tony Banks solo album. And I generally liked it. I did think his voice got a little bit iffy here and there on it, but I certainly didn't think it was as bad as some people say it is. I actually generally like his singing. So that was my introduction to it. And, and for a long time, it was really the only one. God, did I, I might've, did I, Bank's statement came out in 89, which was my senior year of high school. And I want to say that I had this before then, but honestly, I don't really remember. It's just, in some ways, it's just been a part of my collection forever now. And, and it is an album that, that I really like and I don't know if it's my favorite Tony album. I actually don't know if I could name a favorite Tony album, but I do think this album has my favorite Tony track on it, which I will, mm. as we go forward, mm. we'll talk, we'll discuss. But yeah, I think that it's, it's a great album. And, and I think that when I, when I got to do the interview with Tony for the podcast, God, probably two summer, two or maybe even three summers at the, this point, it was the CD that I, one of the ones that I got him to sign off on wow. so, along with that. And, and so it was something that I really liked that at this album, and, but listening to it for the podcast. Now I will say in general, when I, I listened to it for the first time and took my notes and then went back to my notes this morning and was rereading my notes, I realized I didn't quite know the album as well as I thought, because looking at my notes, I was like, Oh, keyboard bit after the chorus what am I talking about on that? And so I kind of went back this morning to refresh my memory about some of the notes even that I had taken on it. It's a good album, but it maybe hadn't been as lodged in my head as I thought it was just from being around for so long. So that was kind of my, my both past experience, but also present experience. And I also will also sell the, uh, also give a big thumbs up to the, um, the 5.1 mix on the reissue. I'm a big sucker for 5.1 mixes. And I think this is actually a really good one also. So See, when I was a kid, I had uh, a Walkman that I just wore everywhere. 
Like oh, if I yeah. was out of the house, I had my Walkman on and I yep. was listening to music. And so I am continually surprised at how well I do know albums like this. Sometimes yeah. which I haven't listened to. Like there are Genesis albums that I haven't listened to in maybe three or four years. But yeah. I put them on and I realize I know every single yeah. note. And can I can I ask how old you are? I'm 48. Al's, I think, a little bit older, but I think we're all basically in that 48, 49, 50 year range and everything Keep at going. this point. <laughs> I just get a little older for you, Al. We'll give you a little bit of better credit there. I turn I turn 50 on Tuesday, so that's my, my milestone coming up here. Happy birthday. So, thank you very much. But now, with that, we'll now segue over to Tom to uh, discuss the Wikipedia article on this. The Fugitive is the second solo album by Genesis keyboardist Tony Banks. It was originally released in June 1983 on Charisma UK and Atlantic US. It was produced by Banks himself and co-produced by the Grammy Award winning Stephen Short. The album is the only album in which Banks sings the lead vocals on all of the tracks. On the previous concept album, A Curious Feeling, all of the vocals were done by Kim Beacon. When that album did not turn out too successfully, Banks thought that it was pointless to continue that project. As compared to A Curious Feeling, the songs on The Fugitive were much more commercially accessible and less experimental. Uh, it also goes on to say that it received mixed reviews, peaked at number 50 in the UK, lasting within the top 100 for only two weeks. This Is Love and, and The Wheels Keep Turning were released as singles, but they both failed to chart. I find, I actually find it, I actually think this is a more experimental album than A Curious Feeling. I agree. A, yeah. a Curious Feeling is really only experimental in the sense that it is it is a concept album telling a story. But I think this album, and we'll go into it in detail, has more quirkiness about it than um, than A Curious Feeling does. And I think just him uh, saying himself, that's that's an experiment right there. Yeah. Something that he had not tried before. So. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I that's... agree completely. And I mean, nobody would accuse Tony of having the strongest voice in the world, that's for sure. So being willing to try that is a real experiment. Um, yeah. I mean, I've read his reasoning. I've read where he talks about his reasoning for doing it. And I completely understand, you know, it's this album is him. And that's both good and bad. I mean, you know, yes. I'm not, I certainly would not hold this up as a perfect album by any means. But both the good and bad of it comes from the fact that this is raw, unfiltered Tony. Uh, it's actually, I think this album's a really good demonstration of how and why Genesis is more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Because I don't think anyone's solo albums, with the possible exception of Peter Gabriel's, I don't think any of, you know, certainly Hackett, Collins, Rutherford and Banks, I don't think any of their solo albums are as good as a good Genesis album. They may have been more commercially successful, certainly in the case of Phil, right. but I don't think any of them artistically are as good as they are when they're together. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would also say that this album and A Curious Feeling are kind of illustrative of what Genesis was doing at the time in Tony's role in Genesis, because, yeah, I'm not sure either album really is all that experimental because you listen to A Curious Feeling and there, you can hear so much. And then there were three in Duke in that album. And this one, it just feels like an extension of what Tony did in Abacab. So to me, Abacab was the real... The, the real exper experimental album. And I just, to me, it's one of the gutsiest turns that any popular group has ever taken. 
because they went from these compositions that were so dense and there was so much going on. And you could just tell that they consciously decided that they were going to create as much space as possible on that album sonically. And I just, it's, it's far from my favorite Genesis album, but in some ways it's my favorite because of just what they tried to do and how well they pulled it off on, on so many of those tracks. So to me, this is almost like a, a, a behind the scenes or behind the music of Abacab to like hear Tony kind of expand that direction with the, the types of sounds that he was using on that album. And then you're hearing that here and hearing that expanded a little bit. But well, it's also, don't you think that it's, this is kind of a bridge between Abacab and Shapes as well. Like it feels almost like he's getting stuff out of his system here. And that's why Shapes, because I, again, Shapes, I know has its detractors, but I really like that album. And I think it's yeah. a much stronger album than many people give it credit for with some ex experimental stuff that isn't too experimental, unlike Abacab, which right. I will defend and I have defended on yes. podcasts before, but nobody would say that Abacab is not a highly experimental album with, you know, big peaks and then very, very deep valleys. Whereas Shapes is much more consistent. Yes. Uh, and I think some of that, I think you can hear on this album things that he's trying out that he then polishes, if you like, for shapes and certainly yeah. then for a bank statement, you know, many years later. Yeah. And I also think that this album, again, kind of disproves the theory out there that Phil Collins dragged Tony Banks kicking and streaming into writing pop songs <laughs> <Yeah>. because <laughs> this is like this is Tony Banks pop music here. Which is I mean, fine. It's weird pop music, but yes. it is pop music. <laughs> exactly. And, and, it's, and it's showing, and in the liner notes for the reissue, he talks about that, you know, he had a kind of change in how he wanted to write things. He thought about the bands that he liked back in the 60s, like the Beatles, the Zombies, uh, the Kinks that wrote these shorter pop songs. And they were good popular music. And he wanted to try his hand at being a bit more concise about things. Does that work 100% of the time? Of course not. Nothing ever works 100% of the time. And so this is overall Tony's stab at, I'm going to do something. Whereas in the first album, he kind of played all the instruments except drums himself. He said, well, you know, I don't necessarily have to play guitar and bass, but I will do all the singing myself to put my personality on there. And, and he obviously still holds this album in fairly high regard he he's mentions that in the liner notes to the reissue also that it is one of his favorites because he really kind of he went for it what helped him probably as opposed to the first album is that he didn't have the farm with a curious feeling right. whereas i think with this one you know he had a little bit of a luxury to kind of sit and relax and experiment with uh, new ideas and not be feel pressure to kind of have turn out an album at a certain amount of time although he was probably shoehorned in between the last Genesis tour and the last Genesis album and the right. next one. Yeah. The other point I want to make is that, you know, I've been psychoanalyzing Tony all my life. <laughs> yes. yes. I think as and Genesis I, fans, we all do. So. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I know where he, his drive comes from and I know that he's, which is totally legitimate. I want to do all the singing on this album, give it a shot. I, he said, he's always wanted to at least try it once. And he did, which is great. But part of me always thinks that there's a, tinge of jealousy that he had of Phil's success. So Phil put out his, you know, face value. And I believe Hello, I Must Be Going came out also uh, before this. And, and, you know, Phil was definitely getting some solo cred to him. And he kind of looked at that, looked at that and said, you know, I can do that. And, you know, I, I give him props for, for attempting it. And I, there was lots of stuff on this album that I love, 
But I think both he and Rutherford, probably after recording their second solo albums, both of which they did all the singing on themselves, probably said, Jesus, it is hard to be out there <laughs> right. and be the lead singer. It is, I, I, I'm sure after each had their experience, they probably like looked at Phil and be like, I don't know how you do it, but yeah. you do it when you do it well. Yeah. And ima imagine if this album had been commercially successful, you know, what, <laughs> what, uh, would, what would that have been like for Tony Banks and for Genesis in general? Like it, it would have been a very different trajectory at that point for them. Again, Tony would have been on Teen Beat magazine and Tiger Beat and all that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that iguana would be around too. So the, uh, well, since I, I mentioned- Tony, but I'm just, uh, can you imagine him on the cover of Smash Hits or something? It's just not, it's never gonna happen. <laughs> right. It, he would have been like, well, I don't want to do all this. Like, he, Look at the video for This Is Love. Have you ever yeah. seen a, fr a supposed frontman look so uncomfortable in their own video? <laughs> exactly. So, well, with with that mention of, of This Is Love, why don't we segue into talking about the first track of the album, this is love. to mind with this is you've got to wonder how many people expected a tony Banks solo album to start with a love song set to a reggae beat <laughs> <laughs> and i would bet the answer to that is not many um right. maybe not I even tony love, himself <laughs> i do love that this track really showcases mo foster's bass uh because he is all over the fretboard on this it's like that's some really really good it's one of the only songs that really has a bass line that stands out. I think a lot of like one thing I play it bass myself, other, but yeah, yeah. but there's, yeah. there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of bass work on this album that jumps out at me. I'll put it that way. So it's mostly root note stuff, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think, I mean, you've got to love this track because <laughs> it is so desperately weird with so many disparate elements uh, and then you get the surprise of Tony's voice. If you've yes. never heard him sing lead before, the surprise of what his voice sounds like, not at all what I was expecting, certainly. Mm -hmm. But it is a genuinely good song. It just never stood a chance on the charts. <laughs> of course. Yes. And yet, there it is. It's the first <laughs> single, you know? Yeah, the video is terrible. Uh, Tony just looks so horribly uncomfortable. It's so cheap. Oh, my goodness. But yeah, the song is great. It has, there's one element of this song that I want to sort of uh, just point out to people who might not notice it. You've got the reggae thing. Mm -hmm. And if you listen, 
that it's got an echo on it, a delay on it. And if you listen, that electric piano bit becomes arpeggiated in the pre-chorus and the chorus so that it sounds on every 16th note, which ups the pace and sort of drives you into the chorus without actually speeding up the tempo. It's a wonderful, very, very subtle touch, but it has this sort of subconscious effect. Anthony, I just noticed that today. I put it in my notes. I just, I mean, with all the times I've listened to this track, I just noticed that today and it's so freaking cool. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's lots of those little bits in this song and in other songs on this album that you, you've you heard forever, but then it gets, it clicks for some reason and it comes into focus and you're like, oh, that just happened. Like there were bits it's not on this track, but another one where there's some like backing vocals or, or different sounds where it's, it added a layer where I was like, Oh, I never really noticed this before. Maybe it was the remits that uh, brought it out. I had noted that it sounds both, you know, it has that reggae feel to it, but it's a very robotic reggae feel to me. Like it's very, it's, it's very, maybe it's a very stiff English charter house reggae beat there. (laughs) And it's, it's something that I actually thought if this song was actually a little faster, it could be very police-like. It was very much like I could see it being that style of song, like something that Sting would sing and kind of have more of a like kind of a, a faster rhythm to it. But then it wouldn't be, I couldn't see Tony singing quickly that way in a way that would that would fit the song and the video it has an iguana in it and it's from the 80s and so i do wonder if if it's so early in the 80s was that a cliche already at that point to have (laughs) just random lizard in the um in the video i I think it post dates rio doesn't it and i I have wondered if that was was gonna say duran duran yeah yeah Yeah, it's funny i also noted like the reggae perhaps i know the the, the, the police were big at the time you mentioned sting like they were there definitely has that kind of reggae influence and it's catchy it's very catchy tony admitted that he was very uncomfortable doing the video and it, <laughs> yeah. but the thing is some people can hide it and he can't hide it there's there's a scene later i think it's after the bridge where he's up on some scaffolding <laughs> and when he finishes that finishes that line you can see him walk away like we're done okay and like <laughs> yeah, it's just he he can't wait to get in that car and yeah. drive off with his keyboard and get out yeah. of there he he looked happiest in the video besides the little kind of the- goof where the keyboard falls but where he's like taking notes on paper like supposedly writing music i'm like oh that's the one time in this video he actually looks like he's in, having a good time <laughs> and he's making notes i was like okay this video is that Tony Banks is living in, in a sewer somewhere because this paper comes through the grade and it comes into his place. And there's these weird, you know, symbols on the wall. It's, it's very strange. So well, isn't the, it's a video that's brought to you by the number six. Yes. <laughs> or yes. But the, six I even and wonder, some random symbols. Yeah. It's just whatever, whatever's on there. I viewed it as kind of what, what Anthony was saying. It, it's a good straight ahead love song. It has a lot of character and charm to it. And, I wonder like if somebody were to cover this song now and do it maybe a little bit faster and with a different quality of vocal to it, what would that be like? And I mean, could it be a hit? I don't know, especially nowadays, but I'd love to hear other people cover some of these songs and see what they would do with them. I I think one of the strange dichotomies of this album is that, uh, you know, Bank Statement has much, much better vocals, Mm -hmm. but weaker songs. 
Yes. This has, in my opinion, better songs, but much weaker vocals. And, you know, it, imagine an alternate universe where this yeah. was the album that had, I can't remember their names now, but the, the singers from Bank Statements. I, I, I know stage, Janie you know? Klimek is the female singer right, yeah. and Alastair somebody is the male singer, yeah. but I don't, I don't. Don't I, I I fail at Jeopardy at Tony Banks Mastermind for that. So <laughs> well, I, I'll just say I mean I, I really love this track. It, it is super catchy, like Tom said. And I actually I really like his vocals on this track. I will yeah. admit, I think it was Anthony yeah. that said it's it's a real shock when you yeah. put this album on the first time and you've never heard Tony Banks sing. And I'm sure that contributed to my initial negative reaction to it. Yeah. But after I'd say probably just a few listens, I mean I really warmed up to his vocals especially on this track there are a few where the vocals really don't work but i'd say on the majority of the album that uh you know his, his vocal stylings are quirky and yeah. i like them he has this this style that that's almost punky in some ways when he has that kind of whiny nasalish kind of like do what you want do what you want type of thing and like each song has one little bit in it where i'm like a different singer might have done this better like that do what you want bit in the middle where it's a little bit it's a little too whiny to me to make it kind of work but it's it's just one of those things but yeah overall i like this song i think it's a good way to kick off the album it has the video has like i said a charm to it that does make me smile in a lot of a lot of ways pun intended yes <laughs> unintended charm so um I, I would have liked, I think it's the only video for the album. So I would have been curious yeah. to see if he had done any other, if the album had been even moderately more successful. But with that, we'll now kind of move on to the next track of the album, Man of Spells. album well second running order but it's the first one where i kind of really understand that tony doesn't have the voice to carry the full album and unfortunately it's the second song <laughs> where i where i learned that but whereas the first song was a love song kind of i don't want to say more feminine but like more kind of in tony's wheelhouse as we like to say 
I think this one is about, I, I think it was about drugs and drug use. And there's a guy who's, that's the impression I got. It just seems like a tougher song with a more mysterious sense to it where it needed someone with a kind of a tougher voice to sell it. And it just seemed like it just, he doesn't reach it with his voice just on this track for me, voice wise. Well, one of my notes was could be great with a different singer. I liked the song. I think the song is actually really, really good. And, And I had never thought about the whole drug aspect of it. And I'm like, okay, that could be, I see where you're coming from with that. But yeah, I think that the song is great. It just needs to be put forward in a different way that that non-Genesis fans would be acceptable to. Yeah, I didn't pick up on the drug theme either. And actually what I wrote in my notes is it feels almost like a reprise of Duchess, that it's this pattern of somebody who's admired or desired and then by the end of the song, uh, the, the man of spells is being ignored you know, and nobody cares. So sort of a familiar, familiar theme there. Yeah, I mean, I like the song. The vocals don't really bother me. And in fact, there's the the one line where he says, back to his open home that I really kind of like. Again, it's, 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 it's quirky and it works for me. Yeah, it's, it's a nice song that maybe would be better with a different vocalist. But for me, it mostly is just a song that really is in the right place on the album, mm-hmm. that it brings brings the energy down a bit after This Is Love and it's got a nice hypnotic groove to it. Yeah, that's funny, Al, because I, I, my first note is about its position on the album. And I think this, like, isn't it true that Phil was always the guy who figured out the running order of Genesis albums? And both Tony and Mike, I think, have spoken and said, like, how good he was at it. So they just kind of left it up to him. Yeah. And I think this, this shows it because clearly Tony is not very good. This should, I love this track. I love this track a lot, but it should not be the second track on the album because Al's right. It yeah. really brings the pace down. It's such a change of pace. Uh, it's a I, I meant it in a good way. Track. Well, oh, okay. No, I think... No, I think point it's a counterpoint here. This is good. <laughs> I do think, though, it's a great showcase for Daryl's guitar because this is the yeah. first track on the album where you really hear, like, oh, and you can, you can tell it's him. Yeah. How does yeah. that work? You can, even if I didn't know it was Daryl playing on this album, I would know. Yeah. Just because it sounds like... Especially that era of Daryl's playing had that kind of very trebly tone to his guitar is, mm. is kind of how I would describe it. There's probably a more kind of guitarish way to, to talk about it. But that to me, it's like, yeah, he can do this kind of interesting sound that complements Tony's keyboards really well that works in Genesis and works, you know, on this solo album and another some of his solo out works that he's played on. And even in, in Phil's albums, he has that kind of kind of higher range trebly uh, tone to it. This is one of the tracks that after I kind of started listening to this earlier in the week, this is one of the songs that surprisingly got stuck in my head. I didn't expect it this one to, but that melody, the da, 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 kind of just did kind of become an earworm in my head. And I was like, yeah, there, all these songs have little bits in them that really can stick around for a while, at least for my, in my ears and in my head, they could. So well, I, and this track I, yeah. to me, this sounds like one of the, cause there aren't many on this album, but this sounds like one of the tracks on this album that could have been a Genesis track. This, yeah, I could imagine nuts. this on a Genesis album, you know, as I say, there aren't many tracks on this album where you can say that, but I think right. this is one, you can imagine this as one of those halfway through side two 
of a Genesis yes. album. <laughs> yeah. Tom is very much the lyric person on the tabletop. Like Tom actually, I think, says things a lot that that bring things. I mean, again, sometimes I disagree with, but a lot of times I go, oh, maybe this is about drug use now, or it could be about that. But there's lines on this, like the help me now, I need you line to me is Tony is very good at coming up with plaintive lines that kind of hit me emotionally in certain ways. And this is both, I could see that from like, if if we go with Tom's interpretation of like a drug user or, or somebody's being like, I need this, I need, I need you because you're my supplier or whatever this is. And to me, I was taking it in that in that romantic way, even though this is not, even in my interpretation of it, it was not a romantic song. It was more just mystery than anything else. It's, it was one of these songs that, in my view, was not necessarily about something specific, but was more just about the mood of mystery that it, that it brought about. So for me, I was like, oh yeah, this is very much... I was looking at the lyrics to try to get more out of it and didn't really find think I didn't think like, oh, this is what it's about. But just that line of, you know, help me now, I need you. I'm like, yeah, this is something that Tony is saying he, again, or the character in the song needs somebody or needs something. And, and I think that's, that can be a recurring theme on this album that will come across again. Well, I, I, I did kind of the opposite. I, I read the lyrics and I, was, I listened to the song. I'm like, okay, okay, that's nice. I listened to it again, <laughs> but reading the lyrics, and I was like, oh, it's about a drug dealer, yeah. the man of spells. It says, undisturbed by the sound, a figure comes into view, a trail of magic runs behind him. The man of spells has come to visit you. He knows how much you really want him. He knows just what all you want him to do. And then there's like the middle part and Daryl's guitar. During the drug use, help me as I helped you. Help me now. I need you. And then the trip is ending. He's starting to come down from the drugs. The enchantment is gone. The ghost disappears, leaving just a tired old man in restless dreams and goes on and on. I was like, oh, that's really cool. See, I am, you, I am, I am, so, I am so literal <laughs> about this that I'm thinking about, well, how is this magician doing these things? <laughs> like, like I, I, I really, but, but, but exactly. But listening to you talk about this, I'm like, Duh. Yeah, that sounds that sounds totally logical to me what you're saying. And so it's it's nice. It's nice to be surprised by again. It's the whole thing about trying to interpret somebody's lyrics or somebody's art, you can come up with 18 different different versions of it. And Tony may have had something totally different in mind. He always talks about Domino being about like the violence in Beirut and stuff like that. And I'm like, unless he mentioned that I would never have seen that. I, I didn't I didn't get that because it is so abstract from telling that narrative story. And so this, what you've just kind of laid out, I'm like, yeah, I can see that. That makes sense to me. So so yeah, maybe I'll listen to this with a different perspective now. Maybe this says more about me, but I always thought it was about his father. <laughs> really? Yeah. Interesting. I've always imagined that this song is about his father. And I don't know, maybe so. There's one, talking about the lyrics, there's one lovely Mondegreen in here that because I had it on tape, so my uncle had the album, but I did not. I only had a tape, so I didn't have the lyrics. Now, Tony's voice is quite clear. He enunciates right. quite well when he sings, but, you know, Mondegreens will happen. And one of my favorite ever is in this, where for years, years, I thought he was singing. A trail of ashes runs behind him. The man of magic has retired to die. 
I thought for years I was convinced that's what he was singing. And now, of course, I know it's, it's retired tonight. But ah. with that, and maybe that contributes to my, my interpretation ah. of the track. I don't know. But I like that better, frankly. I think that's a better lyric. <laughs> I can't unhear it now. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting hearing the interpretation about the father, because as much as, you know, I've read about Tony and I've kind of listened to interviews, it's like he rarely talks about family stuff he's and quite so, private about that isn't yeah. He? yeah yeah and so but but also maybe this isn't the track to talk about it but it's like i just think about all of these love lyrics being about his wife and i'm just like wow he really loves his wife <laughs> i'm like that's that's what always kind of comes through to me about when he writes any of these love lyrics i'm just like wow i'm like he might seem like a very buttoned up person but he has these feelings inside that you know do come out in different ways Anyway, that's that's the man of spell. Yeah. All right, we'll keep on rolling along here to the next track and the wheels keep turning. <laughs> of the fake harmonica sound that keyboards can do. Um, I, I actually, as much as, you know, sometimes Tony does these fake horn sounds or sax sounds, which I can be a little bit iffy. I was like, this kind of fake harmonica sound really works in this song. So I, I was, this track overall just has this nice motion behind it. It's not too fast. It's not too slow. It goes along and it, for me, gives me that idea of, yeah, the wheels keep turning, things keep going and happening, and it's not relentless in a bad way, but it's just, yeah, things are going to move along, so let's just keep this going. Yeah, I love this track, and I was trying to think, I, I love that um, synth harmonica too, and, but another record was the only other song I could think of hmm. that has that, so I don't know if it's really, you know, like a complete genre, but... <laughs> Those are two no Spotify playlist for that at this yeah, point. Yeah, so. but I, I like both of those tracks and I think the harmonica adds a lot to it. It's just such a great melancholy melody and then it just goes up a notch with the bridge. And I, I really like the synth sound. I was trying to think of an adjective to describe it, but it's to me the, the same synth sound that he used on Abacab, the, the title track. Mm -hmm. And I just came up with buzzy. It sounds a little buzzy. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, you know, the, the people moving, going about their day, that part of the song. But yeah, this is definitely a highlight of the album for me. And there's that little bit right before it goes into the chorus where it's like, da 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 Again, I mentioned before, there are these little bits on the album that I'm like, oh yeah, this really, this really works. And there's little Tonyisms 
kind of scattered around that even though he's trying to be a bit more concise with these songs there's there's little bits like that that are sprinkled into the songs that really set it apart from it not having it in there and you wouldn't i don't think you would miss it if these songs didn't have those little bits in there it wouldn't feel empty or anything but it does add to the arrangements when when he throws these these little keyboard bits in there here and there it wouldn't feel empty but it wouldn't feel like the same album it wouldn't right. feel like a tony album you've exactly. got to have those layers and those little flourishes and stuff um al i had not even made that connection between the abacab hmm. synth and the synth in this but you're absolutely right it is the same sound isn't it um and the main synth sound in this one is so odd like during the the verses not that bridge part it's such a unique i've never mm -hmm. heard a synth that sounds like that anywhere else in any other even any any other genesis or tony banks record i've got to be honest this is one where i like the lyrics more than the music i think the music's okay don't get me wrong it's fine but i think it's not as strong as some of the other tracks in the album but the lyrics i think are really good it's a nice little sort of ode to mundanity um <laughs> it almost feels like a sort of like a 10 years on response to the grand parade of lifeless packaging, which obviously were Peter's lyrics, but mm. it's that same kind of, oh, you know, we go through life and our roads are, you know, sort of laid out for us and mm. our destiny is foretold and all that sort of thing. My favorite well, line, I mean, my favorite line in the song, maybe so we, so we do what we must before we turn to dust. Exactly. I love yeah. that line. It's, yeah. it's the best line in the song <laughs> and it almost feels aggressive. <laughs> I love the delivery of that. This is that middle eight section, yeah. uh, which starts out fairly normal and then gets a bit weird. The whole in one year section just kind of yep. comes out of nowhere. And I think that's one of his best vocal performances on the album. Yep. And I wonder if that's because there's real feeling behind it. Cause yeah. he, you know, it feels like a, a very personal lyric which of course also makes it relatable. And I think he performs it very well yeah. as a result. I was going to say one the one musical thing in this I really like is that slow crash Tom alternating emphasis on the line, you know, you know that there's no turning back from here. Dum -ch, dum -ch. That just works really well. Gives a really nice emphasis to that lyric and finishes off that line at the end of the uh, verses. But yeah, as I say, otherwise it's okay, but not my favorite on there. Right. I get that. And, and, I think that that line that I mentioned, the turning to dust thing, like Stacy always talked about Tony lessons and, you know, these yes. little, <laughs> these little nuggets of things that Tony Banks would drop into lyrics. And I, I made a note, I was like, yep, that's the Tony lesson for this song is, is don't let your life pass you by. But he comes up with these ways of, of saying these things that really work out for it. So, so Tom, what was your impression of this song with uh, it being, again, a fresh track for you? Uh, <clears throat> kind of like Anthony where, you know, it's fine. Like it wasn't a standout for me. I, I enjoy it when it's going through its paces. Uh, I, I put that I like the eerie keyboard and the harmonica middle eight. Yeah. Uh, but I think with this, I, it kind of reminds me of what we talked about with anything she does. If you're going to use a sound that sounds so close to horns, use horns. If you're going to yeah. sound something that sounds exactly like a harmonica, use a harmonica. Yeah, uh, I had a harmonica <laughs> player in there. But, so. And I just put an interesting keyboard right after the chorus, but I thought it was a little too quick. I'd have to go back and listen to remember what exactly I was talking about. But yeah, that middle talking about the I think Mike was yeah, that's it. Yep, exactly. Used to used to sound exactly like the album, so that's what brought triggered it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, those it's it's funny. Like this was 
the track that he talks about in the liner notes that actually got airplay from this album. You know, it's interesting that that this is the song because I do think both This Is Love and, and one other track on the album could have been really, I, I won't say big radio songs, but could have been hits in an alternate universe. And I think this is a song, if it were a little bit faster, a little bit kind of, I keep going back to the police, maybe because of just the era that this was released in. And that I do think this album in, in places suffers from the songs just being a tick too slow. And if this were just a tick faster, it might have some more oomph to it, but then it might kind of lose that kind of wheels keep turning idea that it's, it's just about the normal pace of life. There's a lot of what ifs you can go into with music about, oh, if they had done it diff differently with this or differently with that, how would that have affected an arrangement? And until you actually get a band together and do it differently, you can be like, well, you know, it is what it is here. I, now I can't get the image out of my head of Tony and Stuart Copeland in the studio together. How, <laughs> how long do you think before the place just burned down? Right. <laughs> well, and, and Stuart Copeland did play both on P on So... And he played on uh, Acting Very Strange, Mike Rutherford's yes. solo album. That's true. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, there I is... I just can't imagine him and Tony in a studio together. It would just be... Yes. Plates <laughs> would be plumbing yes. every five seconds. I don't know if they would get along with each other or, or they would get along smashingly with each other. I will say with the drummers on this album, there are three different drummers. And uh, Tony talks about that initially he wanted this guy, Andy Duncan, to play on everything. But then he thought he didn't quite fit some of the styles. And so they brought in Steve Gadd, who was kind of a wish list type of drummer, who's somebody who's played with everyone and actually played on Peter Gabriel's Up album or Us. I forget, the one from the early 2000s. I always get Up and Us confused. That's Up. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the he played on that also. So again, there's sometimes layers within layers of who plays with what. And I wonder if, if Steve Gadd even knew that Tony and Peter had played in a band together at some point. <laughs> these things, or because Steve Gadd has played on so many sessions, if he even remembered doing the couple tracks on this album. But but I actually think the drums on this album generally the fit the tracks that they're on. Like they're not. It's it's rare that they're jumping out at me, but they're also they really complement the music in general. So there's one exception in my opinion that oh, we'll get to. All right. Good <laughs> well, with that, with that generally mm -hmm. found like he's trying to replace Phil, which I think is right. also a good thing. So with that, we'll actually segue into the next track, Say You'll Never Leave Me. On a cold, clear night in November, all the people had gone to bed. We found ourselves upon a cliff edge Looking out to sea Then a sight in the pale moonlight Made us shake our heads in dismay A wave taller than the tallest tree Bore down on she and me All the hopes and dreams we had dissolved amidst Look out on the 
So this is a song that I, I really want to like because I, I appreciate the ambition of writing a song about a tsunami, which is, I assume that's what it's about. But this is probably the one song on the album where it's really clear to me that Tony's vocals just aren't, aren't up to the task. But it's, it's a cool song. I would like to hear it with a different vocalist. It's, the lyrics are great. The story is, is really compelling. The melody is good, but I have to admit that the lyrics or the uh, the vocals are really a distraction for me. It's, it's wow, because this is this is the first one where I said I think the song really fits his voice. <laughs> <laughs> See, now the fight begins. Interesting. <laughs> uh, but it, it's funny. I, I Mike was saying I'm the lyric guy. I'm like tsunami. What the hell is he talking about? <laughs> but then I read the lyrics. I'm like, oh my God, he's right. A wave taller than the tallest tree. We're looking at 50 floors from the hotel. I'm like, boy, maybe I shouldn't have read the lyrics. <laughs> well, this is, this is actually, I had the revelation just listening to this today that there's kind of these three verses of the three little vignettes of, of these things going on. The first one is this, the wave is coming. The second one sounds more like a fire alarm in a tall building, the 50 floors to go. The third one is, is a lake and then a ship is bearing down on them. So it's three separate things. It, one is a tidal wave, one is a fire, one is going to be run over by a ship. But I kind of had this revelation today that I'm like, well, maybe this is the same couple happen this is that this is all happening to i initially had always thought about it being three different couples <laughs> and then i was like well what if it's just the same couple each time and it's three moments from their lives that they've the just unluckiest had. couple in the world exactly yeah. <laughs> so that it kind of it, it made me smile thinking about it that i was like oh this is interesting i like this song i i i think maybe it's from the first verse i kind of said oh this is tony's here comes the flood you know, this is his own kind of version of that. But I do think that Tom was doing kind of the guitar motions of like putting your lighters up and, you know, this is the the ballad on the album. I actually think this should have just been like Tony and acoustic guitar. Like there should have been no keyboards, no drums, like really strip this down and have it be a more guitar centered song which it is, it has that strumming through it, but get rid of the keyboards, even though I like the keyboard arrangement, the piano arrangement in it, but just change it up, make it less of a keyboardist song and make it a guitar song and see what that does to the feel of it. I'd be curious about that. I, I think that would be really cool. And I just want to go back to the lyrics for a second because I think you're absolutely right, Mike, that it's three separate vignettes that had never occurred to me. And that now solves the mystery of why did they go back to the hotel? So it makes a lot more sense now. Sure, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I completely disagree with uh, with that, Mike, I'm afraid. No, I, right. I agree that Tony's voice isn't the best on this track, but I think this is a beautiful song, both the music and the lyrics. And one of the things I like about it are some of the little electronic touches okay. uh, musically. Like the, you've got the, that vocoder swell mm. when he sings without you now. Uh, and it's there's not much, there's just enough. It's not even decipherable words, there's, but you've got that swell with the unique sound you get from a vocoder that really helps bring you into the chorus. The chord shift into the chorus is amazing on this track. It is so out of left field. Mm. In a ballad like this, you just don't expect that kind of, you know, shocking key change. And the key change for the coda as well, when you've got Daryl's guitar yeah. going under the vocals and another chord shift, it just keeps going. That line sounds like a Rutherford guitar line to me. 
the first time I heard this track, I actually thought that that was Mike playing on this track because it just, again, in the same way that track two sounds unmistakably like Daryl, this track to me sounds like Mike. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know whether that was deliberate because maybe Tony wrote it that way or maybe he asked Daryl to do that, but it is quite uncanny. You listen to it and you, you could just imagine Mike playing that particular line. But yeah, I love this track. I think... I don't think they're the same couple. I mean, we know, we all know Tony's a fan of sci-fi, but right. <laughs> I don't think that this is yeah. the same couple, yeah. you know, reliving that disaster over and over again. Yeah. But yeah, I love the lyrics as depressing and sad as they are, but you know, that's, that's my jam. And, uh, and he does and just feel so, it, the ending of it is just that so mournful, like so lonely here without you, like kind of how it ends. I do think it ends a little abruptly, but again, if it's three vignettes of loss, maybe it is that loss that it gets cut off abruptly. Maybe that's why it cuts off rather shortly in that. The three just being the same couple was just something that hit me today where I was like, oh, that'd be kind of interesting, funny if it were. I don't I don't think it is. I've, I've always looked at this as just three separate stories of a couple together impending facing doom. impending doom, facing but facing <laughs> something together. And that's again, I get, I've mentioned before about the, the love lyrics that Tony would write. They're not your standard, I love you, baby. Let's, you know, let's go into the bedroom type of thing. It's these very romantic kind of wistful perspectives on love that you don't always get from pop music, which I really like about this. And I, I put it, it sounded a little bit John Lennon-ish a little bit. I know he was a big fan of the Beatles and it's just kind of got that feel to it. Uh, I like the verses a lot better than the chorus. Once it goes into the say, you'll never leave me, bah, bah, bah. I wasn't too much of a fan of that, but towards the end, I, I put the ending is good, strong Tony chords. But overall, I think it was, it, it grew more and more on me as I listened to the album over but, and over. But, and, but I loved that little three note descending the dun, 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 in the chorus. I thought that was just a nice little touch in there. That was, mm. that was, you that kind of it. made it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the, we're all getting different things out of this, which is fantastic. Do you guys um, watch the Rick Beato videos? I've seen yeah. some yeah. of them. Yes. Yeah. Cause even he talks about Tony chords. We call them Genesis chords, but. I just that tickled me when I. We, we all know what he. We all know what yeah. he's saying. What do you mean? Yeah. Uh, cool. Anything else for this S one? Suspended minor augmented ninth or whatever the hell. <laughs> yes, whatever. However, Tony just threw his hands on the keyboards. That. Uh, we'll now uh, get into the first instrumental on the album, Thirty Threes.
come on, don't we all love a good Tony Banks instrumental? Like, how how could you not? This is <laughs> this track is it, it's in, it's inventive, it's melodic, it's catchy, and it has a deliberately confusing title that makes no sense. <laughs> what more could you possibly want from a yes. Banks instrumental? <laughs> I, I for me, this one was everything in the kitchen sink. Like, I feel like this is all the little bits of stuff that he had left over that he just threw into an instrumental together. Possibly, but I mean, that's how a lot of instrumentals are yeah. built. So I have no problem with that. Oh, yeah. I love, I love the offbeat rhythm. Like, mm -hmm. it is 4-4 four, four time, but the hits are all in the wrong place, <laughs> apart from that final snare. And you can tell that because I think it's about two minutes two and a quarter minutes or so, it settles into a straight four on the floor beat in the same tempo. And that was also, Anthony, this is another thing, second time now, and we're not even through side one, where that was something I just noticed in preparing for this podcast was how for the first couple of minutes, you got the, the snare hit, it alternates, it goes uh, from the, the end of three to four. And then all of a sudden, and I never noticed this before, it just shifts to the snare hits always on the three. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And I had never even noticed it before. Yeah. And it does it, like I say, without any kind of change in tempo or even feel. Well, no, the feel changes, but, you know, the, the sort of rhythm doesn't change. It's just where the hits are. It's it's really well done. This track. I'm a big Jean-Michel Jarre fan, and this track actually sounds quite JMJ to me because of all the unusual synth sounds and the swells mm. and then the way that it resolves into a, a sort of straight ahead melody with a fairly solid beat underneath it after being weird for a couple of minutes at the start. That's very Jean-Michel Jarre. And I love that you get a, a rising chord change at 1 minute 20 as all these disparate soul sounds resolve into that first big swell, but still with a bunch of strange chords. And that's very Tony to me. Yeah, I, I think this is a great instrumental. It is unusual and quirky, no doubt, but yeah. I love it. I actually find it really catchy. Yeah. And it's kind of sneaky, too, because I remember the first few times listening to this album and thinking, well, this is nice, but, you know, there's not necessarily really anything that exciting about it. But it's like once you become more familiar with the track, you realize there's a, even the, for, for a track that is soft, there's a ton of dynamics. There's that section, which I think of as sort of like the Duchess keyboard se section, da, 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 that, you know, that's a real change uh, and, and just kind of takes everything down a little bit. And so it's just these subtle little changes in, in mood and in volume yeah. that make it feel like a, you know, a real adventure. Yeah. But all They're, of Tony's instrumentals tell a story. They tell yes. a musical story. And this one, even though it's a very short track, does that as well. And this has a bit about, it's just shy of, a, it's right around the minute mark where there's like a keyboard part that's like, da 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 and, and I'm like, I feel like Tony reused that maybe somewhere on Bank Statement or something like that. Like there's, I haven't figured out where it's from yet, but it's just, it's been bothering me that I'm like, I know that's from, maybe it's from soundtracks or something, but I'm like, it, it feels like it's coming from somewhere but I don't know where yet. And I like like all the bits of this, like I mentioned it, that it was kind of the kitchen sink, like all the, all the random bits coming around. And I like all of the bits. I actually think they're all good. And I especially like in all these keyboard sounds that there is piano really running through the entire thing. And there's this, a lot of the different piano bits, especially towards the end that I'm like, oh, I really like these pieces that are coming through here. I didn't pick up on the rhythmic changes that you had mentioned, or at least kind of consciously pick up on them before, but I'm like, oh, this whole 
piece works for me. Both of the instrumental pieces work for me, but this one does kind of in a different way than the later one does. That rhythmic change just really blew my mind yeah. because if you're not listening for it, I think you, you are going to miss it because like Anthony said, there's no signal, there's nothing, no other change going on that alerts you that it's coming. So it's, it's this really, you know, kind of fundamental change to the rhythm. And yet I've been listening to this album for, you know, the better part of 40 years and never noticed it until this, this week. <laughs> exactly. What I like about this track is that it kind of has that Tony crescendo that he admits that he loves putting into his songs, like a buildup. And you, and you have this in that, in this track, and you also have it in charm later on. And I think I, I made a note that that's what is lacking for me kind of in the other tracks where there seems to be a flatness running through the other tracks. Like there's no huge swells, even mana spells. I figured, well, in the, in the middle there, it's like this conflict going on, but it just kind of remains flat. And I know he might've been doing that because he didn't want to write something that he couldn't sing, whether it was so high or whether it was so low. So I think that's why there was more of a middle ground to most of the songs with vocals. But on this track and charm, he can be free to do whatever he wants. So you've got that buildup and those, those big moments, which I think if, if you've avoided this album, come for the instrumentals, stay for the whole mm -hmm. thing. Because even if you aren't a fan of his singing, there is some great instrumental work on here, especially this and charm later on. Agreed. It's always interesting talking about instrumental music because we can't kind of hang on to the lyrics in, in different ways that we do with some of the some of the more song-based music that we talk about. But we managed to do it, which is always kind of nice because sometimes I wonder with instrumentals if we'll have much to discuss with this. Now that we've reached the end of side one, we're actually going to do something a little different. We've been getting more feedback on some of our album choices online and people talking about their own thoughts about the album more recently, putting things on Facebook or Twitter or on our web, web page, uh, tabletopgenesis.com. And Tom has compiled some comments from people and their opinion of this album. So Tom, if you want to share any of those thoughts, we're happy to uh, hear what people have to say. And then something spoke and this is what it said to me. You got mail, baby, yeah. Sure, we're going to open the viewer mailbag for a second we do we do read your comments thank you guys who have commented it's it, you're not you aren't getting no reply at all we are actually uh <laughs> so what i've done is just to kind of end on a good note i've separated uh them into what i call not fans of the album and fans of the album so i'm, gonna, I'm just going to read a few from the not fans of the album Jamie McQuinn says, I will listen to the podcast because you will only subject me to brief excerpts of the songs. I cannot bring myself to examine the full album enough to make an educated guess at best track. Sorry. And just for this podcast, we're going to put full versions of every song in there. <laughs> just for him. We're going to play the whole thing at the beginning, at the end, and a couple times in between. In the middle. Exactly. It'll be our longest show ever. Hmm. Andy Fear says, I don't understand this album at all. It's hideous. Everything about it is dumbed down synth pop. Only Mike Rutherford's acting very strange can surpass this as the worst solo Genesis album. Well, that's nitpicking, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Richard Goodwin says, good luck picking the bones out of this one. <laughs> and finally, Amit Ram says, I refuse to vote on this. The album is an embarrassment. The team should be paid extra for having to do a show on this. And that I agree with him. I do think we should be yes, paid. Yes, I think that just would be in a general, nice, not just yeah. for this one, but <laughs> <Exactly>. overall. 
yes, that could be fun. But to lighten things up a little bit, we have the the positives. Jason Uretsky says, I actually like The Fugitive, certainly better than acting very strange. I think Banks' vocals are okay, whereas Rutherford's make strange unlistenable. Ben DeHote, he's from Down Under, lifelong Genesis fan here, hearing this album for the first time ever today, kind of like myself. If I discovered this record back in the day, I think I'd have been quite enamored. On second listen, I've noticed that Banks' voice does get a little grating, especially when he sings in a high register. This is a fascinating, even if patience trying at times record. It rewards and confounds in equal measure. I think that should have been put. I agree with that. Yeah, I think that's pretty (laughs) accurate. Yeah, that should have been slapped on the album. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that could be a good sticker right on there. Michael Shishoa says, I remember picking up this album on vinyl when I was a teenager. I like the voice and I like the way it fits the music. I thought his voice sounded a lot like John Lennon's last recordings. I hear real early Beatles era influence on This Is Love and At The Edge Of Night. I mean, I thought there were different Beatles influences on other tracks, but. And finally, Greg Garner says, I must be in the minority. I love this album. Even Tony's vocals, there's variety and authenticity throughout. I prefer to a curious feeling. Yes, I said it. I prefer to a curious feeling. <laughs> so Simon is not the only one. Well, that's good. Al's I think... not the only one. Right. Yeah. Didn't you, didn't you prefer it, Al, to uh I do. A curious yeah. Feeling? Now I do. Yeah. Yeah, so do I. I, I think it's speaking as you know as a genuine lover of this album i think it's important to say one of the reasons i love it is because it is weird and spiky and and imperfect and maybe this is just the the sort of creator and musician in me but i would always rather listen to something that is ambitious and imperfect than something that is you know, perfect, but a bit slick and a bit bland, which right. is why I prefer this to Bank Statement. Bank Statement's got a couple of great songs on it, but as an album as a whole, it just feels a bit too polished, a bit right. too slick. Whereas this, it's almost like you can hear the gears turning in Tony's brain when you yes. listen to this album. And right. that's one of the things I love about it. Same with Abacab. You know, it's yeah. you can hear the band trying to figure out what sort of band they're going to be on right. Abacab. And I find that enormously interesting. So after hearing from everybody's feedback, we'll now talk about By You. So this is the track that for me, I always forget is on the album until I hear it. 
And then I remember how much I enjoy this song, but it is one of those songs that maybe because the lyrics are so the, the vocals are so processed that it fades away a bit in memory, but it is also one of the ones that during this past week got stuck in my head, you know, down, 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 down would kind of get repeated in my head a lot with this track and some of the other bits. I think I really enjoy this. I think it's a song that I don't know if, like I think the vocal processing and the robotic nature of it helps this song. It's still emotional in its way, but that almost detachment makes, for me, makes me think about it a bit more. And I really like this track. I do too. And I I love the soundscape. And I'm so glad that you mentioned the down, down, down part, (laughs) because one of the times this week when I was listening to this uh, this song, uh, preparing for the podcast, I was just listening to all running errands around town driving in my car. And, and as I was really jamming to it, and by the time he gets to the, the down, 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 I literally audibly let out a, you go Tony, because <laughs> I just, I had never noticed before, like how unusual that yeah. that particular sound is for him. And I'm like, wow, you're, you're really going for it here. This is a weird song. This is, yeah. this is I think the weirdest thing on the album, but it works in a lot of ways. And, and it's, I think the vocals, you're kind of like, oh, they're processed, whatever. But then when you really listen to it, you're like, this is just a weird song, you know, not necessarily lyrically or anything, but it's just just the way it all fits together and the kind of the keyboards through it. And and when it does modulate into different kind of key changes, I'm like, I liked the the journey this song takes me on. And the, the start of that journey, does anybody else here watch of the skies there with that, that oh, keyboard pattern? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I can see that. I, I've never thought of it before you said it, but thinking about it now, I'm like, oh, all right, yeah, that could work. I don't know what it says about me, if you all think this is the weirdest track on the album, that this for me is a contender for my favorite on the album. Oh, no. It's- um, I, I think it's one of Tony's best vocal performances, mm-hmm. uh, and the processing helps. I think you know it helps sort of smooth out the, some of the edges to his voice, but also it's got that kind of driving beat that keeps mm-hmm. the song on the ground yep. and the instrumentation builds in layers throughout the whole song, which I'm just a, a sucker for in general, but where it really, where it all comes together for me is that key change a, mm-hmm. a minute 45 when he sings, I feel your sunlight shining on me. And it goes into the middle eight, yeah. that whole section, the chord progression, the, the lyrics, mm-hmm. the sheer audacity of doing like almost Sprechgesang in the middle of a song like this, <laughs> just, floors me i absolutely love it i've often wondered if the vocoder stuff on this song actually because vocoders were still pretty new at the time this was recorded and given the subject of the song i've often wondered if he was if he decided to use that because of mr blue sky electric light orchestra's song which was at that time still would have been one of the most famous uses of vocoder in pop music uh you know really really extreme vocoder i mean and obviously the lyrics here you know have not quite the same but they have a similar sort of metaphor as mr blue sky so i don't know maybe that's me reading too much into it i I do that a lot but i do love this track i love the lyrics i love the music performance that line a branch caught by the wind its leaves beckon to me who would write that other than tony (laughs) whoever would write that as a lyric in a song you know i mean maybe peter i suppose but really (laughs) my my favorite line i need you now like it needed to rain yes i'm like because it's it both in some ways makes no sense 
but it makes perfect sense to me. And I'm just like, yeah, this is, and just reading. Oh, come on. Lyrics, you must've been in places where you can feel the pressure building. Yeah. Like if you go down to the South, I remember I was in New Orleans many years ago and it was, it was, uh, you could feel the atmosphere pressing in on you yeah. bodily until it broke, you know? Yeah. And it's those type of things that, that are in this song. It's about these two people seeing each other from across a crowd, across a, out, sounds like almost like a protest of some type. It's not explicit in its deeper feeling, but just the statement of it all there really works for me in, a lot of, in, in many ways. I think it's, it's fantastic. It works great. You were much more articulate about this song than I am, but this is one that it was a close contender for number one for me. It didn't get that vote, but it was, if we allow ties, I might've voted for this and another track, so. Uh, it's a semi-spoiler. <laughs> exactly, so. <laughs> well, I had my own misheard lyric with this one, mm -hmm. uh, where the, the line is, uh, and the puddles form around us. I thought, up until like two days ago, it was when the, bo or when the bottles fall around us. So I pictured this <laughs> taking place in a bar. Oh, interesting. Oh, so. wow especially with the thunder noise surrounding yeah. us as well. Yeah, yeah, that fits. Tom, how about yourself? Being new to this track, what did you think about it? I'm looking at my notes and I have an asterisk next to this track. And it's a good thing because that means it rated high and I've made special mention of it because it is, I think, my second favorite on the album. I think everything Anthony said about it, uh, as Mike said, he explained it very well. Uh, I also like the building, the layering up, the getting more complicated as it goes on. I think very 80s synth pop. I, I said yeah. very Howard Jonesy, kind of in a way, but yeah, just yeah. just just the mood, this this the simple da, 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 and then it keeps on building and building, and it just it's a feel good song. I I know what this song is before I put on the album and before it comes on. Whereas you know I don't need a refresher, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. But it's funny to me that it's like it it ends up being one of my favorites when I hear it. But at least for a while, it, it was when, when I was looking at the, the track names, when I first put the album on, I was like, by you. I'm like, what is by you? And then when it started playing, I was like, oh yeah, this song, I like this song. It's just like, I don't associate the title with the song. And so hearing it, I'm like, oh yeah. And then maybe I had never really even looked at the lyrics super closely in recent times. I probably did when I first got the album kind of going along with the lyrics i was like oh yeah this works for me lyrically also not just in the sound of the music itself that um, howard jones comparison is a good one i hadn't yeah. thought of that but you're absolutely right and I, I do like howard jones as well the other comparison on this and it's just a little thing but that the organ solo that you get towards the end there's something about that and i think it's the way that the tone fades off towards the end that reminds me of What's the track on Trespass where he literally is switching off the Mellotron to get that sound, to get that... It's in Stagnation, stagnation. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Stagnation, that's it. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of that every time. It just <laughs> transports me to that, yeah. the Blue Gatefold album. And that's right before when Steve Gadd comes in, right? Yes. Yeah, that's there, there's three little parts of the song that I just look forward to. One is five seconds in with that little dissonant chord, that keyboard chord um, just gets me every time. Then when he clears his throat, <laughs> with the it's the puddles form around us uh, part, okay. and he clears his throat, and then yeah, what's when Steve Gadd comes in, yeah, it's, it's just yeah these little things that I look forward to. Go ahead, Tom. I say for me, for me it's when uh, you have the build up. I believe it's three verses right in a row, and then when he 
does the vocal effects and it comes in with then high in the sky star appears to be wink yeah. or however that goes i mean that's just that's such a that's one of my favorite moments on the album that's when great. it goes from yeah. that verse to that middle section and you're just like this is solid tony right here yeah and when a song is so sparse in its arrangement mm. no drums to start out with it's all about the arrangement and it's all about the build and there needs to be those emotional moments in the song or else it is just this flat kind of ding, 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 And it's, if that was the entire song and there was nothing else to it, it wouldn't necessarily, it wouldn't go anywhere. But Tony is really good about having these pop songs go somewhere and they don't start where they, where they end, where they don't end where they start. So it's, uh, it's great. I love it. Maybe I'm even reconsidering my vote, but I won't do that now. So <laughs> Too late. Yeah, exactly. I've already cast my vote. It's, it's logged into the website. We are going to move on to At the Edge of Night. said earlier that there was a track where I thought the drumming didn't really fit and and this is that track and this has always been my least favorite song on the album and I really tried to figure out why for this podcast because I'd never really honestly put that much thought into it and I just realized that the keyboard part like Tony's really trying to give this song some swing with that keyboard part da -da 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 -da. and the drums are so stiff on this song so I, th I think for me, uh, and I like Andy Duncan's drumming on, on the other tracks he plays on. Yeah, that for me really kind of ruins the song. Interesting. I really love this song. I think this is great. And do any of you guys have the, the compilation, the Chord Too Far compilation that came out a couple of years ago of Tony's stuff? It starts out with an instrumental, this kind of just keyboard thing, just kind of, you know, long chords from the soundtracks thing and segues into at the edge of night and listening to this, the, the edit that they did of these two pieces, when I first put it on, I was like, this is fan fucking tastic. I was like, this is just, you know, a song that maybe I had let kind of slip a little bit in kind of listening to the fugitive all of a sudden kind of took on a new life for me. Maybe it was kind of it being the, the stereo remix of it or whatever. It just, it just took on new life for me. And, and, and I really enjoy this song. I, I like this is I, I like this track a lot. And it just works. There's there's both lyrical bits to it that you know the, the whole kind of I'll be waiting right there for you till I lay my like those lyrics kill me every time I hear them. And it's just it's it's again Tony singing about 
love, writing about love in a very Tony Banks kind of way. And, and that works for me. Tiebreaker, anybody? Oh, what was that? <laughs> the tiebreaker, anybody? Yeah, exactly. Tom, why don't you pick it up? Oh, sorry, it froze on me. So I wasn't sure if anybody was speaking or not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it has what I have come to call the Tony Banks jaunt. He likes to have some songs with some jaunt jaunt in them. Yes. I'm, I'm waking up today. I'm going down to it. This is a jaunt, but with a harder edge. This is his jaunt song on the album. I, I like the instrumental middle with Daryl's guitar. I thought, I thought there's some really good guitar work. And I think earlier on, I said, well, maybe Tony isn't the best singer for every song on the album. And I just don't present problems. I also present solutions. So I thought of other singers who could sing some of the other songs on this album. Mm-hmm. I mentioned Howard Jones for Bayou. Uh, for this song, I had in my head Colin Malloy of the Decemberists. I thought he would, the way Tony sings it sounds very much like a December song. So that was my vote for replacing Tony on this song. But it, uh, overall, it's a good song. But when it goes by, I'm like, okay, I'm ready for the next song. Interesting. So I, I do think the guitar solo, this extended kind of instrumental bit in the latter half of the song is for me, one of the best guitar bits on the album. It just really fits in with the arrangement overall. I, I might be in the minority here. So let's see how this goes. I think you are. I mean, that instrumental section near the end is basically the best part of the track, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's, it's funny because people who know me and know my taste in music would probably expect me to really like this track because it's the most straightforward rock track on the album, jaunt notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> but Al, you're spot on. And I hadn't thought about that before, but you're absolutely right that the drumming doesn't, the drumming is too flat to go with the dynamics of the instrumentation. And I think this is one of the weakest tracks on the album. It's a shame. It's too straightforward. Uh, and a lot of that comes from the drums, from the rhythm that the drums are laying down. I mean, it's good. You know, I like it fine. I actually nicked the title of this issue, uh, the title of this song for an issue of my comic series Wasteland many years ago. Um, uh, and I do like that the chords underneath the pre-chorus are just baffling. They are totally Tony chords. They're at odds with the melody. They make no sense. I love it. But that aside, yeah, it's just, it's unfortunately, it's a bit of a weak track for me. But yeah, that instrumental section where Daryl lets rip, that's really good. I agree. I like that uh, instrumental section Daryl's playing is outstanding. And, you know, after criticizing Andy Duncan, you know, earlier, I mean, I do like that, uh, like that three on two thing that he does in the instrumental. So works there. Maybe they need to develop that part of it more. Yeah. Interesting. So well, I guess I am in the minority on this track. So I will take my ball and go home. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, this is the thing about music is that we all respond to it different ways. And like, I'll, I'll listen to this, the, your comments about the drums moving forward, because I never really thought about it that way. It's funny, I, I never really thought about this as I, although I guess it is probably the most, quote unquote, kind of rock track on the album. But that's, I don't know if that's why it kind of connected with me. It, for me, it's more of a lyrical thing that, that it works. It works for me in, in that respect. And it's curious to me that other people don't see the brilliance of this, but <laughs> that's Tony Banks music in general, but interesting. Well, with that, we'll move on to the second and final instrumental on the album, Charm. Thank you. 
is the beginning of this and I'm, I'm like does anyone have the cheat codes because i want to top my high score uh <laughs> yes. it's got that kind of 80s video game when it starts out and that's the obviously the quirkiest thing it, it runs the entire way through it on the mm -hmm. uh the casio whatever he's playing it on i'll let someone else go before i continue i have a lot to say on this one Maybe I, you all match me. Who knows? Right. <laughs> I, I really like this. Of the two instrumentals on the album, this is my favorite. Because for me, I, I mentioned kind of 33s being all about the kitchen sink, like throwing in all the different bits. To me, this is a much more cohesive instrumental. Like it does feel, not, and 33s had this feel too, but this feels like a story. It feels cohesive and, and the bits all build on each other in a different way. That's a bit more complimentary for me than 33s was. I like 33s for different reasons, but this to me is an instrumental that I feel like he conceived as an instrumental and kind of went forward with that. So I really like this one. I love this track. I mean, it's kitchen sink in its own sort of way. There's, you know, again, tons of dynamics, although more, more obvious uh, in, in the song more Daryl Sturmer goodness with that solo. <laughs> um, but I wrote my notes. This is for me kind of like the Dodo of this album. And that uh, first time I heard Dodo, I just thought, what is this? This is awful. And, <laughs> you know, this is just so unfamiliar to me, to my ears when I first listened to this album. But after a few listens, I realized it's it's one of the gems hmm. of the album. Once you get past the, the, the weirdness and, you know, sometimes the abrasiveness of it it's just fantastic personally i would have ended the album with this track i can you imagine closing out the album with something this weird yeah. like where even the drum machines have got these odd tones as you say that casio sound <laughs> but it's great it's it's another track that layers down instrumentation and it's got that build to the crash again very jean-michel jar like it just it builds and builds and rises and rises but as you say mike in a much more cohesive fashion Mm -hmm. than 33s does you've got that false peak at two minutes 25 and yeah. then rises back up again that's a lovely touch there and then at about three minutes in it just crashes into that straight ahead single time beat and now you've got tony's keyboard is that when the real guitar, drums come in when, when the, the drums, drums yeah the drums with the double snare hits yeah. you get another chord change i mean it, it, this is as far as I'm concerned, this is a masterpiece in instrumental songwriting. This yeah. is exactly how you tell a story with a song and get that emotional push without lyrics. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, uh, I learned as I was preparing for this episode that uh, the way he got some of the sounds in the beginning of the song was he ran a Casio through a harmonizer. So you get the C harm which is where the charm comes from. Cas uh, the C is for really? Casio oh, and the harm <laughs> is from harmonizer. <laughs> so that's that it all made sense. I was like, that's very cool. <laughs> I just learned something. There we go. <laughs> I that love it. Brain moment. Yeah. We are an educational podcast, if nothing else. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love the snare sound of this song. I, I, I is it gated? I don't know what oh, yeah. they did yeah, to yeah. it, but it's, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And I love it. It's huge, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. One uh, other little instrumental uh, instrumentation touch I like about this is the that little atonal melody that opens it with the sort yes. of breathy organ sound that only ever appears at the start of this song and again at the end. Mm -hmm. 
it is nowhere else in the track. There are, there are other elements that sound similar, like mm -hmm. almost like a motif, but there is nothing else that actually matches that pattern in the track. And like what? So that's how you open the track with something really atonal that you never hear again. <laughs> just, right. I love it. You and know, what I just realized too, as you, you were talking about that and, and hearing it in my head, I'm thinking that that's very Todd, Todd Rundgren sounding. And that's probably the first time I've ever thought to compare something Tony Banks did with another <laughs> keyboard player, with another right. musician. Yeah. Well, that's, and I will say, listening to the 5.1 mix of this, this is a track that they, it doesn't go crazy, but there's, there is a lot of movement in the sound for repetitions of different melodies and they all come out of the different speakers. And it's, they were very smart with the 5.1 arrangement of this also. It really, it really works not in a gimmicky way, but in a, in a way that makes sense listening to this track. So if you have the 5.1 setup and everything, I do recommend the, the remix of this album. It's uh, maybe because we're in the middle of a pandemic and <laughs> things I'm looking for bright spots of sunshine, but this track, this track makes me so goddamn happy. <laughs> there's something about it where it's just i love listening to it <laughs> i think it, it's uh, that majestic that swells it's like uh, you get the hopping like do 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 almost like a piccolo kind of tune, yeah and that, and then you get those majestic swells it's kind of like when they were building the barns in witness you know that has that like <laughs> and it, it just builds and builds and like you said it has that kind of like at 225 you think okay this is the highest point and then it goes back down again and then it comes back up again just everything about this song i love there's i could play this over and over again i've played it to my kids <laughs> i'm like listen it sounds like a video game and they're like not the video games we play <laughs> but this is I, I put two asterisks next to this song Interesting. On my notes. it's just so goddamn good <laughs> for, for so, uh, spoiler spoiler alert ah. mm -hmm. yes we can figure this out now the only thing i'll say as this is the last instrumental is again if you like these instrumentals and you haven't listened to tony's orchestral albums do so because a lot of the qualities that we're talking about here that we like about these instrumentals are present in his orchestral albums they are really really good very true. Do you have a favorite of his orchestral albums of the three that he did? Is there one that you would recommend over the other two or do you just generally recommend all three of them? I mean, I would recommend all three of them. I would say five is probably, especially if you're not somebody who normally listens to orchestral music, five mm -hmm. is definitely the most accessible, mainly because it's got Prelude to a Million Years mm -hmm. on it, uh, that first track, which is very with different instrumentation that could be a Genesis instrumental. You know, mm -hmm. you could really imagine that. So yeah, that's probably the most accessible, but I really do like them all for, for different reasons. Sure. Like Cities of Gold on uh, six is just an absolutely mm -hmm. superb piece of music. Right. Is that the first track on the album or is no, I think it's the last? I often lose track of titles on some of those, some of the later albums that I've listened to, but maybe just not as much as as previous previous solo efforts. Well, very cool. Well, we will now move on to actually the last official track of the album. There are two bonus tracks that uh really are considered at least if you have the cd the regular album but the next track is moving under
so moving under for a long time was my favorite track on this album for the simple reason that it was the one to me that sounded the most like Genesis. I could have imagined this being on a Genesis album in terms of the, the chord structure and the instrumentation. And it's still, still one of my favorites, but I guess I'm doing a little bit of a spoiler here because it's, it's not really my favorite anymore. But the thing is, as much as I've, I've liked this song and as many times as I've listened to it, there were still things that I picked up uh, listening to it over the, the past week. For example, the, the end of it, the fade out reminds me a lot of the fade out on the waiting room. I'd never noticed that before. Mm. The instrumental section, it really struck me that it, it sounded like something from And Then There Were Three, whereas you know, a lot of this album to me has an abacab feel, or as Anthony said, there's you know sort of precursors to the Shapes album. But that instrumental section really sounds like it could be, you know, like Burning Rope or, you know, a cousin to that. I'm completely in agreement about this being the most Genesis track on the album. That's literally the first note that I have is that you could imagine this on the Shapes album quite easily uh, and with Phil singing. It's kind of a more successful edge of night in a way because it's got mm. that sort of similar straight rock feel, but to my mind, a more interesting melody, some nice syncopation in the chorus, better vocals from Tony. And this is the other track where you can really hear Mo Foster's bass playing, like the first track and the last track. <laughs> and then <laughs> everywhere else, like you said, Mike, a bit boring. Yeah. You get another lovely key change at the end of the middle eight. That's a nice little musical mm -hmm. trick to kind of help bring you out of the solo and back into the final verse without it jarring. That's nice. But I think the ending of this song is the problem. And that's also why I think Charm would be a better final track, because unlike Edge of Night, where the final minute is the most interesting part here, it's just kind of dull. It, it just sort of, like you said, it fades away, not in a very interesting way. It just doesn't feel like a true ending. I, this is a track that would really benefit from a crescendo and it, it's just not there. Yeah. Oh, it's my favorite part of the song. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I did put, I, 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 I put nice outro guitar solo. Yeah. Just, I, just for that, yeah. See, I actually, I did think that maybe this and at the, at the Edge of Night should have switched spots to make this kind of the end of the album. But thinking about putting Charm at the end, to me, that's like, it's kind of like ending the Invisible Touch with the Brazilian with an, with an instrumental, right. a very Tony-centric uh, <laughs> instrumental. And I actually think that Charm could have worked as a really good ending with that. So this song actually, for me, it's, it's nice. I enjoy it, but it's not, if I were pri if I were putting this in order, it would probably be low middle of the pack. Uh, it's not a bad song, but it, to me, nothing really jumped out at me about this track. I liked the lyrics to it. I thought there was some good wordplay in there. Um, but I did I, I did have I was I was deciding whether to reveal this on the podcast. I had a dream about this song last night. <laughs> which I've never had about a song before recording a podcast. Uh, don't do, make it weird, Mike. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I may edit this out, but did any of you guys ever watch the old Space Ghost Coast to Coast kind of fake talk show animated show? Mm -mm. I'm aware of it. No. Yeah. Yeah, there aware there was a bug character on that called Zorak that looks like a big praying mantis. And I had this dream that they did this song on that TV show, but did an animation thing about moving under that was about bugs moving under a city. And, <laughs> and when I woke up, 
I was so convinced that I couldn't have come up with this myself <laughs> that I thought, did they do something on this show that I just had kind of blacked out over these years? And I actually doodled around and I was like, of course they didn't, you know, but, but it was just one of those things that I was like, how could I have like thought of that? Because it was actually in the, in the dream, it was really kind of good in a spooky, weird kind of way. To me, I'm like, when something I dreamed about for me is the most interesting thing about the song, I don't know if it's a great song for me at this point. But you absolutely well, cannot listen here. Lesson here is, no, yeah, I, no I, I, as, as I'm saying it, I'm like, yeah, I think this needs to be in the show, but it's, <laughs> it's a little weird, but it was, but I, I rarely have dreams with music in them. And to have whatever cheese you ate last night, yes. Mike, you, you need to get it on the market. Right. That's right. The lesson so. is don't do drugs. That's, That's the lesson right. here. Kids stay safe. Don't, don't but, do uh, weird. So in all, speaking of alternative, alternate universes for me another artist who could have done this song a little bit better and it fits right in their style is abba this would make a great abba song it's got oh, everything yeah. like that 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 upbeatness that same kind of melody line where whenever i hear this now i think of frida and agatha or anita and agnita singing this song i think they would really do it justice Interesting. i could picture that i'm a big abba fan yeah i could imagine that yeah I, I was happy that this song used the title of the album in the um, yeah. in the lyric. There's well, no song well, called "The first. Fugitive," yeah. right? Exactly. <laughs> so, but I, I, I when that when the lyrics came up even years ago, I'm like, oh, good. The lyrics. There is a reason why this album is called "The Fugitive." Uh, I know some people online tried to tried to turn this into a concept album somehow. I don't know how they do it, but no. there's there's no real there's no real reason to think that is there. So you you says the title, you wins the prize. Exactly. Right. Um, I, I will talking about the lyrics again. Bearing in mind, I listened to this album not long after it had come out because right. I was already into Genesis by that time. So I probably would have been maybe 12, 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And that line, the laugh of the king was clear and strong. So out of fear, the crowd laughed along. That blew my tiny little <laughs> mind when I was a child. It's such a good line. And yeah. it's so, when you're that age and you're susceptible to those kind of, you know, you know, the scales falling from your eyes and that sort of thing. It really had an impact on me. I have never forgotten that lyric. Such a great line. That was your Tony lesson for the album. Yeah, it so was. That, it was. That people Along with turning to dust. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I did uh, have another similar experience uh, like Anthony did. I had this on and I was leaving the room and I had to turn around and walk back in because I'm like, oh, there's the bass because this song was playing and I realized I really hadn't heard it bass much throughout the album but then when this i heard it just particularly on this song i was like oh well there's nice to to have it right there there's little bits of bass that come out here and again mo foster who had played with phil on on his recent on his previous album all right we'll move on to the first of the bonus tracks uh k2 
were not on the vinyl, hence right. they're called bonus tracks. So to my mind, they've never been part of the album. They never fitted my mental model of what the album is. And I have barely listened to them over the years. But I did give them another listen for this show. Witness my dedication. <laughs> and all I'll say about this track is Tony really isn't kidding when he says that he loved the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. yeah is is the melody of the of the verse like it was so familiar to me the da 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 i'm like is it just in every song or is is there a beatles song that that's mimicking now that i'm thinking of because it, it was just so familiar to me but i could not think of what song i was thinking of with that i was thinking of the song that they released like in the mid 90s you know that Oh, the free as a bird came, type of thing. Free, free bird. What was it called? Free, free, uh, free, as, free a as a bird. Yeah, free as a bird. That's what I kind of and I just put it another Beatlesque kind of track. I could picture Jeff Lynne singing it actually. Well, it's, um, it's almost like that track uh, "Come and Get It" that McCartney wrote. The if you want it, here it is. Come and get it. Like that's another one that the yeah. the melody doesn't move too much, and it's not a copy of it, but it just has that feel to it to me. So you know, it was Jeff figured, Lynne who put "Free as a Bird" together. Oh yeah, I think that's why I well, right, right. in my head in the recesses of my mind, I think I knew that. But I figured they already had kind of like a song that sounded very similar to this. So I could see why they decided just yeah. to keep it off. Why put two of this and say, you'll never leave me. I don't know which would you have swapped this for say, you never leave me. Or is that yeah. the better of the two? No, no, no they, they no, definitely no. made the right choice in which <laughs> in which two tracks were the bonus tracks. I, I will say right now they made the <laughs> Tony made the right choice with that. I strongly disagree not because of this track, <laughs> but the next one, which I will have a lot right. to say about. Okay. I don't have that much to say about this one other than to, you know, say that like you guys, I heard the Beatles. I also <laughs> I wrote th this to me sounds very much like a Genesis B side. And I mean, that is not not a negative thing. Because Genesis has a lot of great B sides, yeah. but it just it had that feel, and has the very specific feel in the bridge of Evidence of Autumn. Okay, really heard yeah. that there. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think this is a bad song. I just think like yeah, it didn't it didn't need to be a prime song on the album. And I will say also that it it shares a title with an Anthony Phillips song. So there's on one he has an instrumental called K two, which is I think the second highest mountain in the world. Again, Genesis coincidences come up in this in at times and i like to just point those out when they when they cross our path then we'll move on to the final track of the album sometime never or is it sometimes never sometime never just want to make sure i get that right <laughs> So first of all, you said this is sometime never. I I love this song. It's for me. It is a contender for favorite song. 
And yet I can never remember the title. I actually wrote in my notes, something never. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that aside, what, what I really love about this album is the lyrics. And usually when I think about or talk about Tony lyrics, it's usually in a negative way. Hmm. But these, these are probably my favorite Tony lyrics uh, of any song, Genesis or solo. You know, they're songwriters. I mean, I'm thinking like very much top of mind, like Tom Petty, because I'm right now editing uh, a podcast, my music podcast, uh, an episode about Tom Petty and how he's very gifted at taking something fairly complex and distilling it into like one great line. Tony Banks here does the opposite where he, he could have just sang life is really risky. And you know, that could have been the whole song, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but he illustrates that idea with like all these really great and very eclectic examples. And that, you know, matches it to a, a, a melody that's just really catchy and I, I love the outro where he keeps on piling on more and more and more risky occupations. I just love the lyrics of this song and I love the music too. Yeah, lyrically, it just for, for me, for a Tony Banks composition, it really stands out. That's, that's interesting that you are so positive about the lyrics because my main note about this song is that the music deserves better lyric. <laughs> but that's like, for me, the lyrics were, were fine, but I kind of got the idea kind of quickly. Like one of my notes was that they were fun lyrics, but a bit slight like that they didn't have a lot of oomph to them. Like you said, once once, once I hear the line, if the one don't get you, then the other one will. It's like, oh, that's what the song's about. And Tom's talked about these kind of Tony list type of things. And it's like, oh, it turns into a Tony list at the end where he's listing everything. And I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's not bad, but it's not, again, I, I can totally see why it's not a main track on the album. I think that line, it didn't work for me the way he sung it. And if, the other don't get you then another one surely will i think he's just trying to stretch it too high yeah but the funny thing is when you were talking about the title of this amazon music is calling it something never really huh like the <laughs> they, they think it's something is... never. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's and i have that in my notes something never it's sometime never all right but unfortunately i just had a two-letter review i just said eh so I, I, I uh, given given what Al, given what you said about it, maybe I'll have to revisit the song and, and yeah. find something redeemable out of it. Right. Well, I just Anthony, have to keep this one Anthony, all to myself. Yeah. Anthony, <laughs> my, my, what's what's your thought about this? Again, not that that you haven't listened to it much, but what's what's your thoughts on this? All I, I mean, you can see why it's not on the album. Uh, yes, you know, is it doesn't do anything better than any of the other tracks mm -hmm. is my issue with it like it's not terrible although i yeah i disagree about the lyrics al i think they're pretty questionable even by tony's standards um <laughs> and they, they they have no subtext that's the issue most of tony's mm. lyrics and his really good lyrics have these multiple layers and there's just no there's no layer here yeah. there, there's nothing but the frosting you know there's no cake underneath it has the disadvantage, obviously, of being a track that I have not listened to hundreds, maybe even thousands of times <laughs> over the last 30 odd years. Right. Uh, so it is fighting an uphill battle, I'll grant that. But yeah, I, I wasn't taken with it. It's just, it's one of the few Tony Banks songs, with, you know, with Tony Banks lyrics that I, I actually really want to sing. And yeah, you're right. It's, there's, there's not a lot of depth there. It's just a good, well-written song, at, it least, works, at least to it, my ears. It works for you. That's that's yeah. the main thing. I think that's what we've found on this journey we've taken through all these albums is that 
we all like what we like and we like it for different reasons and we dislike things for different reasons. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean like, Oh, it sucks. It just means not for me, you know? (laughs) And there is a little more subjective than music. Exactly. And, and I think that's where, you know, I always joke, like I love whodunit and I know people hate whodunit and I'm just like, whodunit as well. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. It's fun. You know, for what I'm glad we're all in the whodunit club here now. So, but that's what, you know, that's the joy of, this is finding again people who like what you like and won't just dismiss something out of hand because oh the vocals are a bit weird on this album that's what i find with this is that there are people and we talked about some of the comments in in our halftime segment where it's like yeah some people just can't get past the lyrics or the 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 vocals for them and that's fine for them like i'm not saying they're wrong or anything like that although they might be i am but that's yeah exactly but it's <laughs> but that's i'm not going to force somebody to like listen to this album to be like you've got to like this you've got to like it you got to come to it on your own that's the end of the album we've reached the end here so bravo for us pat ourselves on the back so why don't we talk about now each of our favorite track and then we'll do the poll that's how we usually do this, right? We've done this 30 some times. I should probably remember this. <laughs> so, so who would like to speak about what they voted for for their favorite track on the album first? Tom, since you're new to this album, why don't you talk about it first? Put you well, I, I definitely sh- I showed my hand, charm, hands down. All not right. even not even a close contender. Wow, okay. So um, <laughs> any so what would be your favorite vocal track? I'm willing to split the hair here, but just say like by you. Cool. All right. So charm, Anthony, how about you? What's, what's your fave? Uh, this is one of those albums where I could pick six, any one of six tracks as right. my favorite on any given day. You know, yes. we all have those albums, don't of we? Course. Where it's like, you ask me today and I'll give you one answer. <laughs> you ask me in, tomorrow, I'll give you. Uh, for example, I actually voted in the poll a week or two ago. And I think I voted for Man of Spells. But honestly, if you ask me today, I'd probably say by you. So, mm. yeah, it really, there's so many great tracks on this album for me that it's really tricky to, to say one. But I will say I voted for Man of Spells partly because when I think of this album, that is the track I think of. Interesting. It's the track that comes to mind mm-hmm. first when I think of this album, even more so than This Is Love. So uh, that's, yeah, I thought, well, fair enough. That's a reason to vote for it. I voted, I'll, I'll give Al the last word on this. I, I voted for At the Edge of Night. And which wow. I was, that's why I was surprised that nobody else liked this track. <laughs> I was like, I love this track. Why doesn't anybody else li- even kind of like this track? Uh, because I thought in some ways, and I still, I'm very curious to hear about Tom's poll because I thought it was the runaway song on the album with maybe by you being second place or a close second to it. But now I'm thinking the charm might win out on the poll. So charm or by you might win. So that's my thing. I think at the, at the edge of night, mainly for the lyrics and that kind of, especially on the remix, the, the feel of the song really works for me. So Al, what's your fave? Well, I'll just start by saying that I feel the same way as Anthony, that I could have gone six or seven different ways on Mm -hmm. this one. It was really tough. But what it basically came down to was if I were just going to pick one song to play as a one-off, it would be This Is Love. And in fact, it is. That's a song I just have to hear sometimes. We'll just play it. So I 
the, probably the runner up for me would be sometime never because that's a song that sometimes <laughs> i will just want to listen to on, on its own but it's this is, it's just to me it's it's close to a perfect pop song all right interesting we it's rare i think tom that we we don't have any agreement on what a top song is is that do you feel like that's the case? i think that's rare i think at least two people will agree yeah. on something but this agree. is uh yeah Interesting. Well, I like the diversity of opinion here. This is good. And by you really did, wasn't anybody's favorite. I thought when we talked about it, it almost convinced me to try to change it's my like mental It's a solid voice. second favorite for yes. everyone, isn't it? It's, yeah. But, the, but there's always one track where you're like, oh, you know, maybe. Yeah. I get that. So cool. Well, Tom, I think it's time to reveal. Re let me try this again. Tom, I think it's time to reveal your poll to the world now. Well, you can reveal it, revere it, whatever you want to do with it. <laughs> Tom shows you his bowl. We'll put in the theme song. Probably not surprisingly, we had about 140 votes. Oh, wow. uh, not as high as some of the others, but yeah. I think respectable given that it's an album that either people have not heard or feel very strongly about not having a favorite. Right. Uh, but we'll start with the bottom. It's rare that something gets zero votes, but unfortunately, sometime never got a goose egg on this one. No votes for sometime Ooh. never. <laughs> <laughs> and it could be uh, like people who bought the vinyl, they weren't really that familiar with it. So that, I think they probably suffered from that. It, it oh, does make me sad when a song gets no votes. <laughs> I always figure it's, it's got to be a favor to somebody's out there. All right. Coming in at number in ninth place with three votes was Say You'll Never Leave Me. For shame. <laughs> Do you have the percentages there too? I'm always interested. Yeah, in that was about 2%. Two per, two okay. Oh. One uh, vote for each scenario. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but which scenario would you vote for number one? The tsunami, the fire, the, the ship? We'll I have always, a separate episode yeah, on that. There we go. That works. <laughs> uh, eighth place with five votes and three and a half percent was K2 which is also not surprising given that it was kind of like a bonus yeah. B-side track. Seventh place, all the way down at number seven, was Man of Spells with only wow. six votes and 4.2%. Uh, number six, sixth place, was Moving Under with 12 votes, 8.5%. I'm actually kind of glad that that's not in the top five in a way because I hear so many people say that, well, this is clearly the only good track on the album. So hmm. it's nice to hear that that's not the consensus. Uh, there was a tie for fifth place with 13 votes and nine and a half percent at the edge of night and by you. Really? I'm actually surprised by you is that low. I, I really thought that it might yeah. be high up there. Coming in at number four was 33s with 14 votes and 10%. Okay. Now we got the top three. Third place was, and the wheels keep on turning with 17 votes, 12%. Okay. Wow. Now, yeah. Yeah. Now the top two, obviously we know what's left. Yeah. Coming at That's number two. That's why I was two. saying wow, sorry, yeah, because I just realized what's in the top <laughs> yeah. two. That's wow. wow. Number two is Charm with 26 votes and 18% of the vote. Mm -hmm. Had to fall Leave. on the final hurdle. <laughs> and then this is Love with 22% and 31 votes. Interesting. Well, so it's it's funny that that this is Love. There wasn't a runaway song on this album. No, but the, the top two were at least 10 votes behind number three. So the, the right. top two were, were close and it didn't seem like there was a, a, a close third. And po possibly this is love. Maybe people, I got a vote, 
I'm not going to listen to the album. I know this is love. I'll vote for this is love. So right. I mean, that, that could be one possibility, you know, just by familiarity. Yeah. Uh, but it is right. a great pop song. Like it was the hit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the hit. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm just glad Charm scored that high. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny because sometimes when thinking about the vote, I, I don't dismiss instrumental songs, but I do kind of privilege the vocal tracks more than instrumentals. So I think that an instrumental got so much love from people feels pretty good. Like I'm happy with that. And it's a great instrumental. So, but you have to figure that people listening to a Tony album are probably going to be predisposed yeah. to enjoying the instrumentals. It's like when, when you did the shapes album, second home by the sea ranked really high, didn't it? I think so. You know, I'd have to go back and I'm Tom, pretty, might... I'm pretty sure I remember. Cause I remember, cause that's my favorite track on that album. And I remember sure. the, the time thinking like, I was very glad that it wasn't relegated down to the bottom right. just because it's an instrumental. Yeah. And I think we, I think we might've even had the debate about whether just to lump it in with home by the sea, but we at least wanted for the poll to have, to let people vote for the separate track if they wanted to. Although Genesis basically treats it just as one track nowadays. So uh, cool. So with that, now that we know what the audience uh, kind of feedback was, what's our kind of final concluding thoughts on this album? Because this was my first foray into The Fugitive, uh, I'll just, I'll be the, uh, the spokesman for it, for anyone else who hasn't listened to it. Uh, I know you probably, if you haven't listened to it, maybe you dismiss it because you heard This Is Love and you're not a fan of Tony's voice and you think voice and you think you're just going to get more of This Is Love throughout the album uh but there's got a lot of variety on it they've got some amazing instrumental songs just give it a shot I, I think personally it's not one that i'm just listening to for this podcast and i i got it under my belt now i can move on this will be in regular rotation especially the songs that i really enjoy from this and it actually makes me want to go and listen to his other solo albums more i mean i'm actually you know familiar with still and strictly inc and some of the others but with the great instrumentals, it does make me want to visit the orchestral albums. Like a, it's worth exploring. And if you haven't, if you're just dismissing it because it's the popular thing to do because you don't like Tony singing, you can get over that. Just give it a listen. And hopefully this podcast, this episode inspired at least one person to listen to it and appreciate it. inspired what, you to listen to it. So that's it inspired good. me. So that's, that's my pitch. That's my sales pitch. Very good. Uh, Al, how about you? What's uh, what's your final concluding thoughts on this album? I mean, I think they're they're pretty similar to Tom's that, yeah, I would just implore people to, to give it a shot and to not bring in the baggage that I brought in. And probably a lot of people bring in when they, they give this the first listen that, you know, they're listening to see, well, does it sound like Genesis or, you know, how much is Tony's voice going to annoy me and just meet the album where it is. Cause even if it's not what you expect or what you want it to be, there's, there's so much that's good here. The, the songwriting, both lyrically and musically, uh, as Tom pointed out, the variety in the album, mm -hmm. the, the different synth sounds that Tony explores, some are familiar, some aren't, you know, try to take in what, what he brings you on this album, because I think there's, there's probably more here to appreciate than, than you might expect. Cool. Anthony, I think meet the this album where it is is a really good way of putting it because I mean again if you're a Tony fan surely surely you must expect that you're going to get something a bit offbeat a bit experimental you know attempting to innovate new things and new sounds and try out new stuff because that's what he does and surely isn't that why we all love his contributions to mm -hmm. Genesis over the years 
uh, as I said, this is kind of raw, unfiltered Tony, which means it's not as good as Genesis. It shows that actually he is best when the other two kind of rein him in a little bit. And I would say the same for both of them as solo artists as well, like I said at the start. But if you are willing to accept something that has rough edges, that is a bit sharp and angular in places and isn't the most polished album in the world. Yeah, I agree. It's got some great instrumentals, some great instrumentation, some wonderful arrangements, really good lyrics. Yes, Tony's voice isn't the strongest, but it's fine. It's, yeah. He can sing. I mean, it's not like he can't sing. And there are a couple of tracks that really suit his voice as well. And yeah, I just, I know I'm biased. Like I say, I've been listening to this album practically since it was released continually throughout my entire life. <laughs> right. So obviously I'm biased, but right. I have, on the other hand, I've been listening to it continually for 30 odd years for a reason. Right. Yes. You're not punishing yourself. You're enjoying right. yeah, it. Yeah. It's because I genuinely enjoy it. Yeah. 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 I, I, Actually, I wanted to say something affirmative about Tony's voice because, you know, we're all, I feel like kind of half apologizing, but I will say like, I, I like um, calling all stations. I, I, I probably like that more than the average Genesis fan does. Oh, I really I like it as well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I still listen to it a lot. And, um, you know, I like Ray Wilson's voice just fine, but I would actually rather hear an album with Tony Banks singing on it than Ray Wilson, because Tony Banks at least has a distinctive, interesting voice. Mm -hmm. And Ray Wilson's is, uh, this isn't fair, but I mean, by comparison, it's, it's generic. So I'm not saying this to, to cast aspersions on Ray Wilson. I really like him and I like his work on that album, mm -hmm. but I'm actually just saying this is a way to say that it, it's more that just that Tony Banks is a passable vocalist. I think he's interesting. Yeah. Certainly distinctive. Yeah, definitely. My final thoughts on this is that follow me with this. It's not about a dream I had, but I've been watching, <laughs> I've been watching Curb Your Enthusiasm recently, uh, which is Larry David show. Who Larry David co-created Seinfeld with, with Jerry Seinfeld. To me, Curb Your Enthusiasm, because it's just Larry David, is like, if you like the distilled, annoying essence of the situations that Jerry Seinfeld or George would get into on Seinfeld, then Curb Your Enthusiasm is right for you because that's what, Dave, that's what Larry David brings to the table. And so if you like the quirky, weirder aspects of Genesis, if you like the kind of chord changes that come from a world that you're not quite sure of, then Tony Banks's solo career is for you because that's what you maybe didn't realize you liked about Genesis, but that Tony Banks is all about and is one of the people, I mean, they all bring different things to the band, but he brings that to the band. If, if that's not what you like about Genesis, you're probably not going to like Tony's solo career. But I also kind of think like, well, if you like Genesis, you kind of have to like those things, but it is almost like it's the essence of that is what you get with Tony's career. And so maybe you don't like the concentration of that, but you might like the concentration of that. So give it a shot. And so that's what, you know, if, if somebody who hasn't really listened to the album in a while or, or listened to it 20, 30, 40 years ago and didn't like it, you know, give it a chance now because you may find that with time, you learn, you like new things about it, or you might listen to it and say, still not for me. And if so, then, you know, go on your merry way and this album isn't for you, but explore his solo career and see if there's something that you do like about it. Like Anthony was saying with his orchestral music, because you might find that that's where that connection is. You might get what you want from that music. 
So that's what I think. I think it's a great album. I've enjoyed it. I enjoyed revisiting it for this uh, for this podcast. And I think it gives a lot of it gives you a lot to think about when you're going through this album. So with that, I think we've reached the end of our little voyage with the fugitive today. So Alan Anthony, why don't you let the listeners know where they can find you online? So Al, why don't you go first? All right. Well, uh, I've got a few accounts on Twitter. That's the best place to find me social media wise, because it's really the only place to find me. <laughs> so my main account is Al Melchior BB. The BB stands for baseball. So if you don't want to see baseball stuff, <laughs> find me at You Me Album. That's the page I've created for my uh, You Me and an Album podcast. And I hope you listen to the podcast as well. Finally, I have a Twitter page that's just for Toto. That's <laughs> at Thoughts Toto. Uh, so those, and I do a podcast for the athletic fantasy baseball in 15. So I think that covers it. Sounds good. And Anthony, how about yourself? So I'm on Twitter. Uh, in fact, all of social media is just my name because uh, my name is unusually spelled. And so as long as you spell it right, you will find me. So I'm going to spell it now for the benefit of listeners. And that's A-N-T-O-N-Y-J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N. Put that into Twitter, put it into Instagram, Facebook, wherever, and you will, or even just as a URL, and you will find me. I have, if you enjoy hearing me witter on about music uh, and get far too into things, I do a heavy metal podcast called Thrash It Out, where myself and Brian Latendry take it in turns to make the other person listen to a heavy metal album, often that the other person has never heard before, and then we argue about it on the uh, ensuing episode. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, if you go to anthonyjohnson.com, you'll see all my work and, you know, you can find my books and, and what have you there. And the other thing that I'll recommend, which I do not do, this is not me under a pseudonym or anything. It's not my thing, but I really like it. If you are a Tony Banks fan, there is a YouTube channel called Banksian Central. And oh, it yeah. is the nerdiest Tony Banks <laughs> fan channel you will ever find in your life. And I love every minute of it. So and believe me, look. that should probably get pretty nerdy because even among Spanx fans, you're already oh, yeah. kind of oh, splitting yeah. the hairs there. So, yeah. so if there was one piece of, of creative work that you that it would be a gateway to your work, is there one thing that you would point somebody to? Oh, good Lord. I mean, I, I've I write in such a sort of wide variety of medium and genre that it's really tricky to say. I mean, Atomic okay. Blonde is my most famous work. Okay. That's the one that that's the most accessible because you can just go to Netflix or Amazon or whatever mm -hmm. and, you know, and start watching it. And that's based on a graphic novel mm -hmm. I wrote called The Coldest City. If you like spies, I also do a spy series uh, with a heroine called Bridget Sharp, which uh, I'm just writing the third book of that at the moment. But like I said, I also write video games. I've got a couple coming out soon, actually, but I can't tell you what they are until they come out. <laughs> so follow me on Twitter and you will find out when they're released. Very good. So, and do, do either of you have tickets to the upcoming Genesis tour? I, I, do, I not. do not. No, oh I'm God. honestly, yeah. I'm not making plans to do anything until oh, we until. actually know, you know, what's happening what is happening with the whole pandemic situation okay. yeah because i still haven't been vaccinated yet so right i get mine this week oh, oh very good so very good i'm waiting to be on a list somewhere so that's good tom do you want to give any self-promotion to yourself before we do the final wrap-up no but I, I will admit that i think it was on that uh youtube channel the banks in central whatever it was that i learned about the charm title so it is very nerdy and it gets in the weeds <laughs> <laughs> very good so cool well you've been listening to tabletop genesis uh this is mike this is tom this is al this is anthony and thank you for listening and we'll be back uh next time with another genesis related album so thank you very much for listening
Thank you for listening to this episode of Tabletop Genesis. Archived episodes can be found at tabletopgenesis.com, along with updates, polls, and various other podcast-related news. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to have shows automatically downloaded to your computer when we post new episodes. To keep up with all the Tabletop Genesis activity, follow us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can like us on Facebook by searching for Tabletop Genesis, and you can email us directly at genesistabletop at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast or send us questions we can address on future episodes. you, Tony, you're so weird. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs>